In our culture today, you hear a lot of chatter about what justice really is and who's the right recipient for justice. But what is justice? And what does the Bible have to say about true justice? And what is the difference, if any, between social justice and biblical justice? You know, many Christians today are getting this all mixed up. So let's get real about the subject of biblical justice and social justice. listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in. Happy New Year to every one of you uh, who have been following us the last couple years. We've gone from the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry podcast to the Let's Get Real podcast back in June. So I've been thinking over the last couple days or so and even over the last week as we wrapped up 2020, what I think we are going to be seeing, well, in the next couple months, and folks, we're already seeing what I what I want to share with you today. You know, I, we're seeing. Oh, good Lord, we are seeing Christians really mixing up the whole idea of justice, calling social justice, calling for social justice. You know, there's even a movement out there called Progressive Christianity, which we're going to be speaking about a lot probably this month and into the next coming months, at least until we wear that out like a wet rag, because I think that's something that uh, we could talk about for a long time. I know that Elisa Childers uh, you'll definitely want to get her book, Another Gospel. Uh, that's a book that uh, will really, really enlighten you. And she's got a great blog out there. Go to lisachilders.com, giving her some kudos right out of the beginning, right out of the gate for 2021, because I think that she and others are seeing something that we are going to be jumping on as well. Christianity is under attack. And it's under attack from within. And it is under attack from the, the liberal left, if you will, or, or the, I guess you could say, the emergent church back in, say, like the late, the late mid-90s with Brian McLaren and Rob Bell and others. And I'm going to mention some of these boys again. But this whole idea with everything that's been going on with Black Lives Matter, yep, that's right, I said it, Black Lives Matter. By the way, I believe Black Lives Matter, I just don't agree with the movement. You can call my hand on that if you like. I really don't care. Because I believe each person is created in the image and likeness of the God that I worship, the God of the Bible. And folks, we need to understand that Black Lives Matter is really racist and it's not going anywhere and it's crying for a social justice. And I, what, I, what I'm really bothered by the fact is the fact that Christians today are jumping on this social justice bandwagon saying Jesus was a social justice warrior. That's pretty much the uh, progressive Christianity 
thought to this. Now, I don't know how long we're going to go. We could go a little bit longer. I've got some things I want to share with you regards to Christians and the new social justice. Now, over the past several decades, there have been many voices that have began this so-called new approach, such as guys like Ron Sider, Tony Campolo, or Jim Wallace. However, there are many newer ones that are out there whose influence has actually morphed and spread greatly. And I'm thinking of folks like even those back to the days of the late 90s of the emergent church, guys like Brian McLaren and others, uh, guys like Tony Jones, Doug Padgett, Rob Bell, you know, Velvet Elvis, um, uh, the the book that he wrote also on the fact that there's no hell and and all of that. While, you know, they may have been dismissed by evangelicals as heretics back in like 2010 or so, that does not mean that any of their influences have been abated. No, they, they haven't. Now, it's actually quite the contrary. And they now publish with a major publishing company like Harper One and Random House. You can catch that all over the web. And even with those publishers, they're extending their reach. They've been established with their own ministries. Jones has an earned PhD in practical theology and thus enabling him to mentor students at seminaries. And they've already were having a profound shaping influence on youth student ministers such that their own views have actually helped shape the current trends of student and youth ministry, including ones who now happen to be amongst the students who are advocating social justice on these new bases, even on Christian campuses. The more developed views of these emergents have a deep practical ethical focus. Rather than focus on biblical orthodoxy, they have placed their emphasis really on orthopraxy. Now, what do I mean by orthopraxy? Orthodoxy means correct teaching or right teaching. Orthopraxy has to do with what the outpouring of your practice is. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be biblical or have a biblical worldview underpinning. In fact, what we're finding out with the progressive church, as long as well as the emergence and those in the social justice movements, it's anything but a biblical view of humanity, race, or ethnicity, if you will. I prefer the word ethnicity because Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to the ta ethne, which is what we got. But folks have spun it with race, But these folks have strategically, they address justice in a number of social issues, which include things like racism, colonialism, sexism, environmentalism, and poverty and economic exploitation. Now, what kind of views do they now hold the lines of what is real ontology and you know, what can we know? In other words, ontology is the study of being. I was talking to a co-worker helping him with his paper this week because he has a professor who is a deconstructionist postmodern. And it was a, a course on reality. And they had this crazy idea about what ontology meant. But if you look at the Greek word ontos, it means being. And the study of being is ontology. 
So the question then becomes, what can we know about what these folks are, are actually saying, and how do those affect their general ethical approaches? First, when we speak of this ontologically, they accept a form of this thing called physicalism. In other words, we're just physical beings. We are people who don't have souls. Now, one reason for this is that they reject essential natures, thinking that a dualism of body and soul has led in part to a gospel that stresses people going to heaven when they die. But to them, that story, which they think this is the received version of evangelicals today, undermines living for Christ now in their mind. And their view includes seeking justice in all dimensions of life as we faithfully follow Jesus's story. Now, the question then becomes, is what is Jesus's story? If Jesus is the social justice warrior, obviously it is a foreign story than the Jesus that we see revealed in the Gospels. But their view of God is rather interesting as well because they don't view, they don't embrace the type of view of a historical biblical monotheism. Totally contrary is this thing called panentheism. Now, now when we talk about panentheism, uh, this is the predominant view where everyone and all creation, including God's sacred ecosystem, is in God. Panentheism, pan everything, pan, and in theism, everything in God. That's what panentheism means. Therefore, things like literal demons or Satan cannot exist as such, which allows them to focus on human evils, such as injustices. Now, what are those injustices? Well, whatever they interpret, uh, racial bigotry or and and racism and injustice or whatever the case may be. So, what they're doing is they're declaring what is just and unjust from their particular paradigm, a particular perspective of where they believe, what they believe about God. Of course, you know, I've always said this in past shows, it's all about your worldview. So if you don't hold to a strict biblical monotheism, you're going to be totally off the reservation, I guess you could say, with reference to your view of God. So if your view of God is just loving, but not the fact that he's holy, just, absolute, uncaused, perfect, all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, not made, you know, all of those things, and that he's separate from his creation. See, they see this totally different. When you talk about things like ethics, then humans need not repent of of their sins and trust in Jesus' final, finished, atoning work on the cross for their salvation in order to become into a relationship with God. The view of panentheism says that being already in God, sin does not separate us from him. Instead, we need to live out the story of Jesus with one another in community 
and beyond. See, folks, that's, that's only half the story because when we understand the great commandment, when we understand the great commandment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that this is the first, and, uh, first, the first of the great commandments. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, you cannot love your neighbor unless you love God, but you have to know who God is in order to be able to love God and then be able to biblically love your neighbor. So when we look at this, they reject some things here. They, they reject the essences. Essences is by the rejection of universal quality. Besides, being shareable universals would be one in many. Consider the fact of human nature, for example. In and of itself, one thing, yet when it is instanced in many parts, particular humans, so to speak, Notice the, the, the many parts thing, because this is where things like intersectionality comes in. But when you talk about this, in where things are broken down into parts, it becomes each person's essence. The same would apply to justice and or human dignity. We typically have understood these to be shareable universal qualities. On this view, there is a dualism between the quality itself and its many instances. Think folks like Brian McLaren and others have rejected many dualisms, including that posed that are posed by universals. Instead, they have embraced this thing called nominalism. And of course, when we talked about the subject of truth, we talked about this nominalism, and this nominalism on it, there are many particular things that do not have any literal identical common qualities. So say, for example, I'll give you an example of nominalism. If we just went outside and we looked at a particular tree, we would just stop at it being a tree in its essence. And the fact that the tree exists... We see it as a tree, but you couldn't, we couldn't take it any further as far as the type of tree that it would be. So the only thing that they might share is a word we use to group things, case in point of different types of trees, get it, that resemble each other. For example, on it, there isn't a common human nature. There are just particular humans or what we call humans human subprime 1, subprime 2, subprime 3, and so on and so forth. The same holds for justice or human dignity. There are just particular things like justice, 1, 2, 3. Notice what they're doing. It's they compartmentalize human beings, and they compartmentalize justice. Yet there is nothing in these individual cases that makes them all instances of the same thing. So what can separate us as being the same? Well, skin color, gender, sexual preferences. Are you hearing what we're saying here? It is becoming a problematic thing. So when we look at this nominalism, 
Nominalism fits with their rejections of various dualisms, including material and immaterial, as universal God's communicable attribute of justice itself would be immaterial. Yet it can be instanced in many humans. However, nominalism holds that everything is located in space and time. That means the kinds of things that exist, at least in creation, including justice, would be material sense perceptible things. Now, when we speak, we talked about this ontologically, epistemologically, which is the study of what knowing how you know what you know. Epistemologically speaking, social justice folks believe our situatedness is so extensive that we cannot know reality directly as it truly is. So even have an experience to have an experience requires interpretation. This is a postmodern viewpoint, okay? Postmodernism says that you create the narrative. What they're doing is they're creating the narrative of our being and how we know what we know, rewriting how we know what we know, creating your own narrative, so to speak, so that it is compartmentalized to things like gender, sex, um, uh, sexual orientations, uh, um, ethnicity, so on and so forth. When we talk about ethics, when you look at ethics epistemologically, ethics is embedded in a Christian story and community, and it cannot be pried off from them. Thus, justice and human dignity are what they are in light of that particular context. They are not universals that exist and, and transcend all people, unlike truth, right? However, these emergents are keenly attuned to the dynamics of power and its abuses and oppressing people, something that is highly relevant to the new basis for social justice. So the question then is, how do these emergents and progressives, can't leave them out, draw on the same kinds of principles at work in the new social justice? Well, let's look at the social underpinnings of this. Uh, I'm sorry, this, the philosophical underpinnings of the new uh, social justice. For example, there are some key assumptions being made by proponents of the new basis for the social justice. One is that several differences, several differences in outcomes in Western societies, such as economics, sex or gender, race, the environment, and others are due to immoral discrimination, usually against groups of people. So you're wondering why the Cleveland Indians are going to be losing their name, why, why you neuter, neuter the, the Washington Redskins this particular year calling it Washington football team or Washington's football team. This is what we're talking about. This is the effects of what we are seeing in our culture today. And they assume that these groups have been oppressed by the powerful and they need to be liberated from their oppression. In many respects, the new social justice draws extensively from what is known as this thing called critical theory. In terms of its origins, critical theory began at the Frankfurt School with many German philosophers and social theorists that were essentially based out of the European Marxist tradition, such as Max Horkheimer. 
According to Horkheimer, the critical theory seeks emancipation from slavery, from domination and oppression, to liberate humans, to create a world which satisfies their new needs and their powers. For critical theory, a key goal is decreasing domination and increasing freedom in all their forms. Secondly, uh, for Horkheimer and even Karl Marx before him, reason becomes historicized. That is, our knowledge and thought is historically conditioned. As a nominalist kind of view, historicism stresses particular standpoints while rejecting universal truths and ahistorical direct access to reality. Critical theory focuses on particular historical events and not abstract universal ideas which determine cultural phenomena. Thus, this is much like the epistemological stance of Brian McLaren and other emergent proponents. There's a third idea here as well. Third, in terms of ontology, Horkheimer continued Marx's turn toward materialism. This is like McLaren's and others' emergence embracing of physicalism. Also like emergence, Horkheimer embraced nominalism about humans rejecting a universally common nature. Humans seem to be embedded in nature as though they are nothing but material beings, and thus it seems they do not transcend nature, which they could if they were made not just of matter. For critical theory and other, and the new social justice, ethics readily flows from these factors, perhaps most obviously from the goal to liberate people from oppression. Now the question is, who's implying the oppression? Who's determining who was oppressed? It's people within the movement. Moreover, since knowledge is drawn from socially embodied settings, humans are embedded in these settings in nature. Ethics, too, is socially based. And, but, but due to a rejection of universal truths, justice and human dignity cannot be immaterial entities. Instead, there would be many particular actions that we group as just yet they do not share anything literally in common, perhaps a word that one uses. Now, what I want to do in the final moments here is I want to just give you a quick assessment of this, and then we'll wrap it up. But please note that we are going to be dealing with this a little bit more. So if this seems a little deep for you today, listen to the program again. Ask questions. You can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Uh, but let's, let's take a look at this because when you look at this, this is really the Sitzenleben, the zeitgeist of our culture today. And Christians, we're going to have to know how to respond to it. So I hope this assessment, as we wrap up our show today, we're probably going to go a little over the 30 minutes. But we need to understand that this is the new battlefront. And folks, that battlefront is coming in the church, plain and simple. We're going to talk about progressive Christianity in coming show, and I'm going to lay out for you some of the tenets of progressive Christianity. I'm researching it right now. 
And as I mentioned in the very beginning of our show, Elisa Childers has a great blog, and she's got some great articles out there. Look up Elisa Childers if you want a head start on that. But let's, let's give an assessment. Positively, social justice advocates are right to point out the many, many injustices that have occurred in the United States and the West. In general, for example, things like racism or sexual violations of women by powerful men, to name but just two. Brian McLaren and others are also right to point out that it is easy for evangelical Christians to focus on individual sins rather than carefully examine and expose injustices that systems can foster. Also, we can be blind in other harmful consequences that can result from stressing just evangelism and discipleship. We have to get our hands dirty. It has been easy for evangelicals not to give attention due to the ethical issues of environmental protection, particularly when God has made us stewards over it. But, but when we look at the fact that we are responsible, biblically speaking, of, to, to be stewards of everything that's around them, McLaren is also right to emphasize the need for being a disciple of Jesus in the here and the now with implications of how we live our lives now to the impact of the kingdom of God. Now, all that said, embracing even implicitly nominalism and rejecting essences and universals results in disastrous consequences for justice. And that's what the, that's what the progressives, that's what the emergents do. To see this, notice on how nominalism on nominalizing everything, such as justice, dignity is particular, and everything is one particular thing. So recall on, on how nominalism we see justice one, justice two, justice three, and not justice itself, which is a universal. That is, in each case, we have a moral quality justice that has been individualized or individuated or particularized, which is represented by each subnumeral. Yet, now there cannot be two real different things in particular. The quality justice and the particularizer, which is the type of justice or subpoint one of justice. If there were like justice one, and that wouldn't be just that would not be just one thing it could be composed of two things which cannot happen on an on a nominalistic perspective so in terms of what is real it seems that there is just a mental distinction that we make between the quality and the the quality and the particularizer in that case we can eliminate either one without any loss in reality for example if I just say justice, and I don't particularize it to a particular subgroup of justice, and just say that each person is created in the image and likeness of God, then we have real justice, right? So on nominalism, justice and other ethical qualities can be at best are just our own interpretations and construct, and that's what they're doing. 
This result should remind us of Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, when the serpent claimed that Adam and Eve could be like God, defining good and evil for themselves. That's what we've been doing ever since the 70s when we started throwing truth out. Truth now is basically dying on our streets. But actually, justice cannot even be that on nominalism. Even our own constructs of what justice is cannot be sustained, for they face the same problem that I've just described. But we cannot live with that result. So many try to convince themselves that justice is our interpretation. And since there are multiple interpretations, there are many justices in a social justice movement. Yet, if ethics is based about power, as critical theory claims, then there is a second problem. On critical theory, there will be a never-ending cycle of violence and rampant injustice for the oppressed who are liberated from their oppressors will become the oppressors themselves. And this is what we're seeing with the Black Lives Matter movements. There is no other option in principle. Their newfound power, they will oppress others who will need to be liberated. This is, what is, this is the, the basic construct of, of cultural Marxism, so to speak. And you'll have people that will need to be liberated, and there'll be a vicious circle, and there'll be no end to injustice. Justice will be trampled underfoot. Now, we have been examining some new bases for social justice as advocated by the emergence and progressives and those who have embraced critical theory. By embracing nominalism physical, and physicalism and the belief that we always think and know of our, from our situated standpoints and cannot ever access reality as it truly is, the new social justice actually undermines true justice itself. And folks, it really leaves us with at best nothing but power moves a social chess game, so to speak. Justice cannot be preserved on, on, the, on this basis. Instead, it seems that justice, along with human dignity and equality, need to be universals, which are grounded in God himself and how he has made each and every one of us. We are created in the image and likeness of God. We are his image bearers, if you will. As a brief extension of further thought as I close. The gospel itself cannot remain the same on these bases. Here is but one way, while the gospel does liberate us from the oppression of sin with its penalty and power, this requires the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ and our trust in his finished work. But that is not the case with the emergent gospel of McLaren, the emergence and the progressives. We'll talk more about that, but the progressives say that there is no substitutionary atonement. It's nothing more than cosmic child abuse, God, God killing his son. But we'll talk more about that later. We are not separated from God in that view, for sin is but a disintegration of relationships in which we already stand, including with God. So the solution is not that we need to be born from above by the Spirit, according to the emergence. Instead, we need to embrace the way of how Jesus now, by living according to the way 
our story of Jesus now, which is one of justice, love, and nonviolent resistance to evil. Folks, these are not objectively real standards, but just nothing more than interpretations. So even the gospel itself, by emergent standards, has to be altered to fit the new social justice paradigm. And even worse, the gospel itself cannot be sustained at all on, for, on a, nominal, a nominalist basis. The gospel itself does not exist. And some, parties, some people say it cannot exist. It's totally eradicated because the gospel is not Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, was buried, and three days later, it isn't this God created everything perfect and man messed it up. Man is still messing it up with his social justice stuff. And as a result, we have a mess. We have to stick close to the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins because we messed it up. We sinned. We are, we are uh, inheritors of Adam's sin. We are sinners by nature, and we, we, we show that by our transgressions against God's moral law. And folks, social justice is breaking God's moral law by going and not treating each human being as image bearers of, of God's image. So when we look at this, the gospel itself cannot be sustained. It's not even existence. And for these reasons, it is important that you and I resist the moves to embrace this, this new basis for the social justice movement. Yet, we can and we should heed with good concerns that emergence progressives and liberals, if you will, and others are raising real social, raising real issues about social uh, injustices. Folks, the ultimate justice is the fact that God is just. Thomas Jefferson, who was a deist, said, I tremble for my nation because I know that God is just and his justice will come inevitably. That was a loose paraphrase. But folks, we need to pursue biblical justice. Biblical justice is centered on the God who exists. God who sent his son to die on the cross as our substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. Folks, if you don't know this real Jesus, this Jesus of the Bible is not a social justice warrior, even though he spoke out against social injustices of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. By the way, God did that through the prophets like Amos and Micah and others who were going and oppressing the poor, oppressing the widow and the orphan. James tells us that true religion is, is taking care of widows and orphans. And, of course, that's not works-based because he says, show me your works by what you do. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that anyone should boast. Verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the work that God has given us to do, ordained us to do, depending on your translation. Folks, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great commandment that we're talking about. But Paul also said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as I close, that I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not let this world be uh, treat you like your Play-Doh and get you to conform to the ideologies of this world. But be transformed by the renewing and not the removal of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Next week, we're going to continue this trek. And I'm going to be, I'm, like I said, I'm doing some research on progressive Christianity and, and white fragility and intersectionality. We'll have a uh, surprise topic next week, probably based under that huge umbrella as we march forward. I'll tell you, this is the new battlefront of our culture, and we are jumping into the war because, folks, we work and live among people. And people who live and move and have their being every day of the week as we do. And they grope for truth. They grope for hope. You know, our, our, our church focused on this word peace for the holiday season. And there is no peace other than from the Prince of Peace. But folks, there are people out there looking for a bigger word. The meaning for a bigger word. With all the hurt. And with all this COVID that is happening, and is that word hope? Our hope is found in no one less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness because he shed his blood for us. Yes, I believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for my sin 40 years ago. And I pray that he's done that for you. You know, Paul tells us if you don't know him, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be redeemed. You'll be born from above. That word born again means is ananothen, which means being born from above. That's God's promise. And God don't lie. God is not one that he should lie or can lie because he can't, because he doesn't do anything outside of his nature. So as you go out this week, if you go out this week, go out, be his ambassador, share this podcast with others, and we'll be back with you next week. And as you go out, happy new year. Hopefully 2021 will be a better year for 2020 than 2020. 2020 was a good year for us ministry-wise, but I pray it'll be a better year for every one of us as we live and move and have our being. But as we go and do that, go out and give them heaven, and we will be back with you next week. Lord bless.